we come to Lord's Day 9, question and answer 26 in the Heidelberg Catechism this evening. We'll read this uh, responsively. So what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, make, uh, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. And now Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it as we consider it this evening. So last week, as we came together and we're making our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, we considered how our God is triune. He is a holy society of perfect love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, living in that perfect harmony and unity together since eternity past and forevermore. And the Heidelberg Catechism shows us how the Apostles' Creed is divided into three sections uh, that speak of the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yet there are not three gods, but there is only one God who has always and always will exist in three persons, which is a great mystery that we cannot fully comprehend with our finite minds. But we also saw how God in his uh, holy love, as he has in himself existed in that holy society of love, he decided in love to pour out his graciousness and love towards us to reach us and he reaches us in love through the reality of the gospel the good news and we said that we must insist upon the gospel of god because it alone has the power to remake us so that we would live like the trinity in that perfect equality personal diversity and peaceful unity that we would reflect in our fellowship together uh, that holy society of love that is in God himself and should be represented and reflected in his people. So now, uh, having considered that basic structure of the Apostles' Creed, the three divisions, you know, with the three persons of the Trinity tonight, we come to the first article of faith in the Apostles' Creed, the belief that the Creator God is also our loving Father. And we see that very clearly tonight in Psalm 23, a beloved psalm, I'm sure, for 
uh, all of us, right? And Psalm 23 uh, nicely has three parts, which will be our three points tonight. First, the Lord's loving guidance, his loving guidance. And secondly, the Lord's comforting presence. And thirdly, the Lord's promised inheritance. And so first we consider the Lord's loving guidance. Uh, King David here starts off saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, Naturally, King David, as we know his story, he himself was a young shepherd boy when he was called and anointed to be king over Israel. He was out in the field tending his flocks, right? And so we know him as this young shepherd boy who grew up to be king. And he's drawing on that illustration, that metaphor of what it means to be a shepherd and tending to sheep, caring for animals, and making sure that all of their needs are met and that they grow up to be strong and healthy and that they're well taken care of and kept from danger. He knew what it meant to be a good shepherd to his sheep. He knew how to take care of them. And so as he's meditating on who God is to him, the character of God and the ways that God provides for each and every one of his believers. Well, David realizes that the one who fulfills that metaphor, that role of shepherd best and perfectly is the Lord his God. And this relationship with God is far more intimate and personal than simply the creator relating to his creatures as that which he has created, which is why David here calls him the Lord in uh, all capital uh, letters there, which is a reference to his covenantal name, Yahweh, in Hebrew, his covenant name that he gave to Moses. And so he calls him by name, this personal name that God revealed to his people, and we see that David calls him mine, my shepherd. So it's very personal, dear to him. As Heidelberg Catechism states, he who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence is my God and Father for the sake of Christ, his son. And so we have, David is saying, the right to call on God as our shepherd in life because he has covenanted in love with us. That means he has given us promises. He's entered into this loving relationship with us and he has bound his heart with ours in love with each and every one of us so that each and every one of us can call on him as our God, our shepherd and our father. We think about how God met Moses in the burning bush and at Sinai where he made that covenant with Israel calling himself, I am that I am, Yahweh. And he has met us, we remember, in the person of Christ on Mount Calvary, where God himself sealed the covenant of peace in the blood of the great I am, Jesus Christ, who was in our humanity slain for us. And so Jesus actually, if we think of this, he actually gives us a more intimate invitation Rather than just calling God our shepherd, and there's an intimacy naturally between the shepherd and his sheep because he knows them by name, he is walking with them, tending to them, and so the shepherd loves his sheep naturally, but we have a greater privilege. As Jesus teaches us, we can now call God 
our Father, our loving Father, because we have been adopted into God's own family by the covenant sealed in his blood. So we see this great intimacy, this personal relationship that we have with God as our shepherd and also as our loving father. And he goes on to say, I lack nothing or I shall not want. This is a statement of faith. Since we know that who God is to us and for us, we trust that he will provide for us exactly what we need and when we need it. Jesus himself taught this in Matthew 6, 31 to 32. He said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And in that passage, Jesus is showing us that God, he cares for every part of his creation. He cares for the sparrows, those lowly sparrows. He makes sure that they're fed. He clothes the grass in beauty. How much more does he care for his own, his own beloved children? And so he will give us what we need, but we have to remember always that what we need and what we want are not always the same thing. Just because he leads us to green pastures, as David reflects here, to feed us, and he often does through our life, we can look back in seasons of life where he has truly led us in green pastures, great seasons of joy, great seasons of delight in what God has given us and times when he's led us there besides still waters of peace uh, with, in fellowship with one another and with God's people. And so he leads us in those places, but it doesn't mean that we always get what we want in life. It doesn't mean that we are always in green pastures or always beside still waters. Even as we'll soon see in this psalm, David will reflect on how God also leads us where? Through the valley of the shadow of death. And so he also leads us at times through deep and dark valleys, where there be famines worldwide and wars, danger and persecution or death before us. We trust, we trust that he will give us what we need most. Not always what we want, but what we need most. Paul the Apostle reflects on this point in Philippians 4, where he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. I'm not saying that I'm in need. Saying I'm not saying that God is mistreating me here, right? For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know that it is, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have less than Uh, my basic necessities in life, right? I know what it is to have plenty, to have an abundance and to be in times of prosperity. I've learned the secret, he says, of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So what does Paul realizing as he's reflecting on this. Well, I think he realized, and the secret is that whether God gave him plenty or little in life circumstances, whether he gave prosperity or great adversity, that God, he realized, was meeting all of his ultimate needs in the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Paul shows us that the greatest need that we have is God's gracious presence to strengthen us. That's what Paul said. 
God is there strengthening me to be content in every situation. And so we trust that he will never leave us, never forsake us. In an ultimate sense, our good shepherd is always with us, supplying for us the strength that we need from on high to persevere till the end, until we arrive in glory. And so as the Heidelberg Catechism says, we can trust God so much that we do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And why does God do this? David says he's guiding us along these paths of righteousness, leading us in the correct and right way for his name's sake, for his glory. In the end, God will get the glory. This is the the theater of God's glory and his grace. And all wrongs will be made right. All injustices will be set in their proper place. And all tears will be wiped away. As the Heidelberg Catechism says, God is doing this also for the sake of Christ. So for his name's sake, for his son's sake. God the Father, we find then, he lovingly guides us. He lovingly guides us in this way by his spirit through our life, caring for us and ensuring that all of our ultimate needs in life and in death and body and in soul are met for us through the person and work of Christ. Not only do we have the Lord's loving guidance, but we also have the Lord's comforting presence. That's our second point. David continues saying that even though, even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What do we see here? We see, loved ones, that there is no way to glory but through suffering. That is the way to glory. There is no way to that crown set before us but through the cross, which also means taking up the cross ourselves. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death precisely because the Lord our God chooses in his mysterious wisdom to lead us through trial and tribulation in life, to lead us through them so that we depend upon him all the more, so that we see his grace and love all the more. And I know many of you have gone through deeper and darker valleys than I myself have. And I know there are more to come in my life as well that I'm probably not prepared for in this precise moment to face. But Christ, our good shepherd, has gone through the deepest and the darkest valley of all for us already. He suffered the pains and torments of hell for us. And he has promised through that to strengthen us by his spirit, to endure each and every trial and valley that he sends in this veil of tears. And so we have this great comfort in the midst of all of our troubles in life that God leads us through. He is there with us. He is the great comfort for us in the midst of our troubles, comforting us with his very presence. Earlier this week, I was meditating on this passage, Psalm 23, and I wrote a poem. Some some of you probably read it on uh, social media already, but I'd like to share it again with you all. Speaking about how the valley of suffering is before us all and the need to see for our own self personally to, to see that Christ is leading us through, that he is our good shepherd and that he has us um, 
by, by his hook, pulling us through the shepherd's hook. He's pulling us through that, uh, the darkest of valleys. And so the valley is before us. Death's shadow looms grimly there. What is it that you fear most? Who has you by the throat? Is it the thug infamous as death? Or is it the kind shepherd's hook? Does it drag your hopes down? Or will it pull you up and out? Fear the one who loves the most. The light that dissipated the dusk, lingering in the bed of pale death. He who rose with living breath. Jesus Christ will lead some through. The question is, will he be accompanying you? And so that is the question for us. But we also find from Psalm 23, the great comfort, the comfort and the assurance that indeed, as we call upon him in faith, as David did, and look to God as our great shepherd and our father, that we have the promise that he will be accompanying us and he will guide us through. He has us by his shepherd's hook, pulling us through the dark valleys, pulling us up and out, even up and out of death itself in the end. So he is present with us in all our troubles, ever guiding, ever interceding for us, always loving us. There is a great comfort in that. And we also see that there is no way, no way to get to what comes next which is the table prepared before us, but through the valley. God doesn't promise that we will uh, not go through hard times. He doesn't promise that we will not go through the valley, but that when we do, he will be there with us. As he says in Isaiah 43, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When, When you pass through the waters, not if, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, do not be afraid, for I am with you. So he sends us through the valleys, but he's with us in the valleys. Jesus himself promised in the Great Commission as he sent his disciples and his church out into the world with the gospel of good news, he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is with us. And what has he sent us? He has sent us the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to be our ever-present help in times of trouble, our great comfort in and through the valleys of life. So we find that not only do we have God's comforting presence with us and his loving guidance, but also as we come to the third point, we find that we have the Lord's promised inheritance prepared before us, set before us. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What is David reflecting on? Well, that God is leading us to a table, a feast, a great meal and fellowship. I heard once uh, a preacher on this passage say that uh, a young lady uh, said that she wanted to be buried with a fork, (laughs) buried with a fork because um, what is set before us is a feast of great joy, 
uh, a great fellowship with Christ and with God and with the saints above in glory when Christ comes and restores all things and makes all things new. God is leading us to a great meal. Despite enemies around us, we have this great promise that we are already anointed by Christ's spirit in the cup of our heart. Think of this, the cup, uh, as David says, is overflowing. The cup of our heart is already bubbling with the joy of heaven. We already have foretastes of God's glory in our hearts, in our lives. Uh, your cup is already starting to bubble with the joys that are set before you in glory as foretastes of what is to come. Isaiah speaks of this glorious inheritance in chapter 25, verse 6 to 9 in his a great book, and we'll get there in time, where he says this, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Death has no seat at this table that is set before us in glory. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. There at that table, we'll find the Father, in a sense, coming and wiping away each of our tears, each of our sorrows, and filling up our cup with greater and greater joy, endless joy, endless peace. Isaiah says, the Lord has spoken in that day. They will surely, or they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. It's almost a, a remark of astonishment. We trusted in him <laughs> and he came through in the end. He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And so we know that even though we walk through the valleys of death in this life, God, our Father, will eventually and mysteriously do what the Heidelberg Catechism claims here. He will turn to my good, whatever adversity he, has sent, he sends me in this veil of tears. Whatever adversity he sends us, whatever valley that he leads us through is in order to get us to that great table. He is turning it to a great and glorious good in the end where we will receive that goodness there in the feast of glory with him. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He has the power to do it. But more than that, the Heidelberg Catechism says he desires it. He wants to do this for us because he is our faithful father. He loves us. And so he wants to bring us to that table with him. And we come to the final phrase of the psalm. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You think of a shepherd, sometimes shepherds with their sheep, they have sheepdogs. The sheepdogs go running about, uh, nipping at times at the, the feet of the sheep, making sure that they don't wander astray, making sure that they're staying on course, making sure that wolves don't attack. Well, here we find that God sends the sheepdogs of his goodness and his love always at our heels, his goodness and his mercy and his love always following us all the days of our life. Why? 
keeping us moving in the right direction through the valley, not getting lost, not panicking in the midst of trial, but keeping our eyes on our, on our Savior, our Shepherd, trusting that he will finish the work that he began in us and that at last we will arrive in the house of the Lord to dwell with him forevermore. And so through this psalm, we've seen uh, the great truths uh, that God in his loving kindness, his guidance through life, his comforting presence, and also this great inheritance that he has promised us through Christ, this table that is set before us, and he will surely bring us to that place by his promise for his name's sake. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and the light and the comfort that it gives to our darkened and wearied hearts. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 23. And there's so much uh, rich, there are so many riches here for us to discover and meditate upon. And truly, we've only scratched the surface of all that is found here in your word, pointing to who you are and what you've promised to be for us. And so, Lord, we ask that uh, you would press these truths deeper into our hearts, that you would comfort us, that you would keep leading and guiding us forward, that you would make us aware of your comforting presence uh, and lead us at last until, that, until we arrive at that table set before us uh, where our cup will be overflowing with joy and gladness. Lead us uh, and give us the strength to persevere to the end. In Jesus' name. Amen.